Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm Agas Ramirez. In this episode, we'll meet the Trong sisters, Trong Trak and Trong Ni, heroines of the first Vietnamese independence movement who headed a rebellion against Chinese Han Dynasty overlords and briefly established an autonomous state. Something I read while researching the Trong sisters reminded me of a comment from one of our listeners about the historical figures we've featured so far. I'll quote George Dutton's text at length here before going into the way we choose topics. I apologize in advance for mispronouncing the names. The biography section of Fan Hui Choi's highly influential encyclopedia categorized records of the institutions of successive dynasties includes only two women out of 384 entries. These women were the Trong sisters, included largely to complete the lineage of Vietnamese rulers. The somewhat later Nguyen Court's biographies of Dainam would seem far more promising as it contains more than 150 entries for women, but on closer examination, these are all political elites, queen consorts, concubines, princesses, and are all represented to varying degrees as exemplars of Confucian virtue and morality. This podcast so far has featured several queens, one admiral, and three heroines from political elite backgrounds. This is something to remember when you're listening to this podcast and others like it. We do have a limited perspective because of the sources we are able to access today. Because being included in history, for most of history, was a privilege. Most of the stories we can credibly talk about will be related to women from political elite backgrounds. So remember that they are not representative of what ordinary women's daily lives were like. As more scholarship is done on alternative sources, more stories will come out. We do have something planned. But these stories we have now, I believe, are still not a bad place to start in getting to know Southeast Asian her story. So, the Trung sisters. The Trung sisters are probably the most famous out of our featured historical icons so far. Their status as national heroines has meant that their hagiographies or idealized biographies play a prominent role in Vietnamese school books. Thoroughfares are named after them in most major cities in Vietnam. Most Vietnamese people grow up knowing the two sisters who defied Chinese rule, however briefly. Their story takes place in Zhaoqi. This is the Chinese name for various provinces, commanderies, prefectures, and counties in northern Vietnam during this time period. After the Han Restoration, Teng Zhang, the governor who had kept Zhaoqi loyal to Han China, led the prefects of his jurisdiction to the Han court to be recognized and rewarded. Other quote-unquote men of ability were eager to go back north to pursue their careers near the centers of Han power. The south was left in the hands of who Keith Weller Taylor calls lesser men. This probably means they had less experience and less influence over their jurisdictions. Su Ting, the new prefect of Zhaoqi, 
was reportedly greedy and inept. He was a stereotype of the bad official who provokes a rebellion. During his tenure, the Lack Lords began to test Chinese authority and in doing so, grew increasingly bold. If you're unfamiliar with the term, Lack is the name for people who lived in the Red River Delta region in what is now northern Vietnam. Some scholars have suggested that the Lack were closely related to other peoples known as the Viet, called the Uwe by the Chinese, who inhabited the coastal region of East Asia from the Yangtze River to the Red River Delta during the first millennium BCE. That last bit is still disputed though. Back to Zhao Qi. The Lak Lord of Melin, which is today a district of Hanoi, had two daughters named Trung Tak and Trung Nin. They studied literature and trained in martial arts under the watchful eye of their father and grew up to be brilliant women in line to inherit their father's land and titles. The older sister, Trak, is more famous, and her younger sister, Ni, gained fame as her constant companion. Both sisters are remembered with affection by the Vietnamese, though less is known about Ni. Trong Trak's husband was Thi Sak, the lack lord of Chu Dien, which was a short distance downriver. According to Chinese records, Thi Sak was of a fierce temperament, and Su Ting attempted to restrain him with legal procedures. He literally tied him up with the law. Trong Trak, of a brave and fearless disposition, steered her husband to action and became the central figure in mobilizing the Lak lords against the Chinese. Su Ting was in no position to cross swords with the Lak lords. History isn't very kind to him. He seems like a bumbling figure here. According to a later report on the uprising, Su Ting opened his eyes to money but closed them when it came to punishing rebels. He feared to go out and attack them. In the spring of AD 40, the Chinese settlements were overrun and Su Ting fled. Other lack lords joined the uprising. Trong Trak established a royal court in Melin and was recognized as queen by 65 strongholds. It is recorded that for two years she Quote, unquote, adjusted the taxes of Shaoqi and another province called Fuchan. Adjusted here probably means abolished. She ruled from her ancestral estates, so it's unlikely that her authority was exercised by means of Chinese-style taxes. Her fellow aristocrats recognized her as queen and undoubtedly showered her with gifts that could be interpreted as tribute. Interestingly, some sources say that Trong Trak was a widow because the Chinese killed her husband. Even the Encyclopedia Britannica entry says this. There's actually nothing in the record to support this. Keith Weller-Taylor thinks that this was probably because later scholars couldn't believe people would rally behind a woman when her husband was still alive, so they decided he had to be dead. Chinese sources make it clear that Thi Sak followed his wife's leadership. Their society was fairly matriarchal at the time. The Trong sisters' mother's tomb and spirit temple have survived, although nothing remains of their father. The names and biographies of over 50 leaders of the Trong sisters' uprising are recorded in temples dedicated to her cult, and a large percentage of these were women. This includes their mother, by the way. She was a rebel leader, too. So when you read something like this about Trong Trak's husband, take it with a grain of salt. Anyway, according to literature, Trong Trak wanted to 
bring back a simpler state of affairs more congenial to traditional values. The taxes she abolished were apparently tribute exactions levied on the lack lords by Han China in return for formal recognition of traditional rights. These exactions were mainly corvi, or unpaid labor owned by a vassal to her or his feudal lord, and tropical luxury products like oranges. Trong Trak and other lack lords prefer the exchange of gifts based on hereditary rights and mutual benefit. The people of the 65 strongholds renamed her Trong Vong, or She King Trong. A quick break for a word from our sponsors. Hello there, my name is Jinx. And I'm Faith, and together we're the two-woman team of Synchronicity Events PH. Synchronicity Events is an events coordination group that can help you plan and put together celebrations for your life milestones so that you can be worry-free on the actual day itself. Drop us a line on Facebook at SyncEventsPH. That's S-Y-N-C Events PH. At the beginning of 8041, one of Han China's best generals, the 56-year-old Ma Yuan, was appointed to march to the far south of China. He was given the title Wave Calming General because, at the time, he had just suppressed a rebellion in Anhui. Wave calming is an interesting euphemism for the brutal suppression of people who are just trying to defend their ancestral lands, but anyway. With 8,000 regular troops and 12,000 militiamen, he marched the port in Hopu. This is where the maritime route to Zhaoqi originated. I think you know where this is going. At the port, he discovered that the 2,000 ships available were insufficient to transport his army. Ma Yuan began an arduous advance to Zhaoqi along the coast, building a road as he went and depending on the fleet for supply. With the Chinese army in their midst, the lack lords, or the rebels according to Han China, began to lose heart, except the Trung sisters. Realizing that inaction would only disharden her followers further, Trung Trak decided to give battle to the Chinese. The Trung sisters did not have a disciplined army, but stories say they held their ground for three years. Now this all sounds like your classic good versus bad situation with loyal but untrained armies ready to fight to the death, but that was not exactly the case. Trong Trak was followed by a collection of lack lords with their retainers, each looking to her or his own best interests, and as ready to go over to the Chinese as to stay with her if it should be to their advantage. Scholars say that the century and a half of Han overlordship had seriously eroded the moral authority of traditional values. So as long as she could maintain a momentum of success, her followers stood by her. But when she suffered the reverse, she was quickly abandoned. So she was forced into a hasty battle simply to keep her partisans in the field. One element of dissatisfaction with Trongtrak's leadership was apparently the growing influence of the patriarchal values preached by the Chinese. Quote, Trongtrak, seeing that the enemy was strong and that her own followers were undisciplined, feared that she could not succeed. Her followers, seeing that she was a woman, feared she could not stand up to the enemy 
and consequently dispersed. End quote. In the end, the Trong sisters' revolutionaries, without peasant support, without supplies, and with untrained forces, were no match for the seasoned troops of Ma Yuan. Trong Trak was badly defeated. Several thousands of her partisans were captured and beheaded, while more than 10,000 had to surrender to the Chinese. Trak and Ni's most loyal retainers retreated to the foot of Mount Tanvien in Melin, where her ancestral estates were located. Others fled to Kuchan. Ma Yuan proceeded to Melin and by the end of the year succeeded in capturing Trong Trak and her sister Ni. In the first month of the new year, their heads were sent to the Han court at Luoyang. Another note here. Other sources say that the sisters, rather than facing death at the hands of the Chinese, committed suicide. This is the version that Vietnamese historians favor. The story goes that Ma Yuan first defeated them at Lang Bak, near the present side of Hanoi. The Trung sisters then retreated to Hat Mon, now Som Thai, where they were decisively beaten. Unwilling to face capture, they committed suicide by drowning themselves at the juncture of the Dai and the Red Rivers in 8043. The second version, the one of suicide, like I said, is the more popular one, and it does fit in better with the narrative of rebellion, but like other scholars, I'm also inclined to believe the first version that Ma Yuan did behead them and send their heads to the Han court. The Trong sisters' determination and strong leadership qualities are cited by scholars of Southeast Asian culture as testimony to the respected position and freedom of women in Vietnamese society as compared with the male-dominated societies of India and China. Though we know from the story that their status, and it seems the status of women leaders in general, was waning at the time. The Haiba, or the Two Sisters Pagoda, at Hanoi, and the Pagoda of Hat Mon in the province of Son Tai are dedicated to the Trong Sisters, and an avenue in downtown Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon, is named for them. People also erected altars in their name. The most famous altar is in Hanoi, in a temple founded in 1087 and rebuilt in 1142 at the site where it stands today. The altar has statues of the sisters kneeling with their arms raised to the crowds who visit them. Once a year, the statues are carried to the Red River to be washed before they are brought back to the temple. Their names are still invoked whenever Vietnam faces new challenges to their sovereignty. The spirit of the sisters lives on in the Vietnamese as they hold their ground against adversaries old and new and continue to forge their own path in the unfolding story that is Southeast Asia today. Producing a podcast like this takes a lot of time and research. If you like what we do and want to support the next episodes, head on over to our Patreon. Give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes, along with all the references I used, access to the close friends' Instagram stories, and a shout out at the end of the next episodes. And if you can't, just tell your friends about this podcast. That works too. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStorySEAPod. In the next episode, we'll talk about the Minangkabao, a matrilineal society in West Sumatra 
which traces descent and inheritance through the female line. There are so many more stories to tell and we're just getting started. This podcast was written, hosted, and edited by Agas Ramirez. Special thanks to Yati, Kara, and Mandu for supporting this podcast on Patreon. Ikimitsu for the opening and closing theme. And you, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you are listening to this episode, thank you so much. Sampai jumpa lagi!